You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. The Scotsman, quen it was day, thou mest devoutly girt thy say, sin took a sop and made them thyar, and quen thy all assemblet war, and in thar battailis all pervade, with thar braid banners all displayed, they made nights as it affairs to men that uses thy mistress. The king made Walter Stuart knight, and James of Douglas that was wicked and other alls of great bounty, he made Ilkine in dar degree, when this was done, that I yow say, thy went all firth in good array, and took the plain full apertly, money good men wicked and hardy, that war fulfilled of great bounty, until thy rotis men mixed say, the Englishmen on other party, that as Angelis Shane Brickley, were knocked a rate on sick manner for all their battles, Simon were. In his skilltrum, what square it was, throw the great straightness of the place that thy war in to bed facting, or that it was for abasing. Awake knocked, but in a skilltrum, in simit thy war all and some, out in the avowered enerly. That reeked with a great company. Be them selvin, arayetwar, qua had been, be mecked, have seen thar. That folk are take, a meckle failed, on braid quar money, a shining shelled. And money a burnest bricked armour, and money men of great valour, and money a bricked banner and sheen, mecked in that great shieldrum be seen. And when the king of England saw the Scottish swatek on hand, takened the hard felt so openly, and upon foot he had thoroughly, and said, What, will yon Scottish fict? Yea, securely, sir, said a nicht. Sure Ingram the Umfraville hath he, and said, Forsooth, now, sir, I see, it is the mast, furlyful, sicht, that ever I saw when for to fact that Scottish man has ta'en on hand again the mict of England 
in plain, hard failed to give battle. Ot and ye will throw my counsel. Ye sell discomfy thine luckily. With Royce Yao Hain, suddenly, with battles and with Pennonis. Quill that we pass our Pelionis, and ye shall see Alson that I, Megar thar Lordis, shall break array and scale them our harnies to tie. And quen we say them scalet swa, prick we then on them hardily, and we shall half them well lightly. For then shall nine be knit to fict, that may withstand your meckle mect. I will not, said the king, perfay, do so, for thar shall ne men say, that I shall eschew the battle. Now withdraw, may for sick regnail. When this was said, that e'er said I, the Scottish men come and ally, knell it all down to God to pray, and a short prayer thar may die to God to help them in that fight. And when the English king had seat, off them nailand, he said in high, Yon folk, nailis to ask mercy, Sir Ingram said. Ye say soth now, thy ask mercy, but nine at yow, for thou trespass to God thy cry. I tell yow a thing securely, that yon men will all win or die, for doubt of deed thy shall not flee. Now be it sa, then said the king, and then but langer delaying, thy girt trump till the assembly. On other side men micked then say, Money a wicked man and worthy, ready to do chivalry. Thus wore thy bone, in other said, and Englishmen with mickle pride, that wore until thar avoward. To the battle that Sir Edward governed and led held stocked thar way, the oars with spurs harden it thy, and prick it upon them sturdily, and thy met them ricked hardily, so that at thar assembly thar, sick a frushing of spurs war, that for a wee min micked at her. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 408 of this podcast. Today is Saturday, June 11th, 2022. And that was another selection from The Poetry of Scotland, edited and introduced by Roderick Watson. The selection I just read for you is from book 12 of The Bruce by John Barber, 1320, with a question mark to 1395. This poem was written about 1375 by John Barber. It is the earliest poem preserved in Scots. And uh, I read a little bit of this the other day, a couple episodes ago, and my daughter, Evelyn, she loved it. She very much enjoyed it and told me that it's like reading her a bedtime story for me to read it. She thinks I'm trying to read it in an accent, but actually it's a funny thing. I'm not trying to read it with an accent. It's actually a very hard poem to read because it feels as though the Scottish accent is fanaticized. And there are also some unfamiliar words that I don't know the meaning of, but nevertheless, it is very evocative 
and noble and uh, stirring, quite frankly. If you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, Bannockburn is that last battle that they fight uh, against England. And it's a pretty stirring story. Braveheart was actually the nickname of Robert the Bruce. It wasn't actually the nickname of William Wallace, but Braveheart is what they called Robert the Bruce, or at least it's what history calls Robert the Bruce in any event. It's a beautiful, sunny Saturday morning here in Greeley, Colorado. I woke up this morning to a phone call about a server that had locked up about 3 a.m., and that needed reset. But once I had it done, I got myself a cup of coffee, and I set to the task of fully waking up because there's a difference, right? There's a fully large difference, a very big difference between having your eyes open and being able to converse on the one hand and actually being awake. The two are not one and the same. But I got myself a cup of coffee, sat down at my computer to make sure that things were coming back online as they should. Things were communicating as they should. And it was about 5 a.m. when I started hearing this clucking. Maybe it was 5.30, but I started hearing this clucking of our chickens in the backyard, because we have chickens. We have five of them. And I opened my blinds, and I'm looking out, because I'm going to shush the chickens, because it's a little too early for them to be all together singing a song like that. We do have neighbors, after all. But I look out, and we have this privacy fence that goes all the way around our backyard, and it's pretty dry and brittle, and it's not in the best of shape. And lo and behold, one of the planks had fallen down. And Cloud, who is this husky dog that is in the yard of the neighbors behind us, Cloud was laying down at the fence, poking. Uh, I actually don't know if Cloud is a boy or a girl, but I'll assume Cloud's gender uh, Cloud was poking his head, I'll assume it's a he, poking his head uh, through the fence onto our side of the fence. And here are four of our chickens. All I could see at the time was four chickens. And just clucking around, pecking at the ground, and drifting closer and closer to this dog who's just laying there, poking his head through the fence, looking at our chickens. And we've already lost one chicken. It was a few months back, but one of our chickens jumped the fence into the jaws of Cloud and uh, was no more for this world. And so I'm seeing only four, not five, and I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, we lost another one, probably. Fortunately, that fifth chicken uh, was found. She was found uh, over by the chicken coop. And so she's still with us. We still have five. That's good. But I went and I woke my daughter up and I said, hey, can you go in the backyard, gather up all the chickens, put them in the chicken coop and close the gate. And we'll just have to get one of your brothers to put that plank back up or see if we can get that hole patched. Because I do not want Cloud getting into our yard and eating all of our chickens, killing all of our chickens. That is just not bueno. And I thought, well, okay, you know, that done, which Evelyn helped me with. We'll just watch. And 
Then what do you know? With the chickens put up, Cloud starts trying to step through the gap in the fence. So she got one leg through, and I'm thinking, oh, if she really tries for it, she might be able to get her whole body in, and that's not something we want. We don't have to deal with that. If we address it now, chase her back through to her side of the fence, and uh, Evelyn, why don't you go wake up one of your brothers? I don't care which one, but just one who can help patch this hole, and uh, I'll keep an eye on Cloud. So she did. She won't, you know, went and woke up Solomon. He came and patched the hole in the fence, and so that's better now. But kind of a funny deal, kind of a funny way to wake up and start a Saturday morning. Not necessarily my favorite way, but what do you do? Sometimes your neighbor's dog wants to come into your yard and uh, eat your chickens, and uh, you have to deal with it. That's all there is for it. (laughs) You just have to deal with it Uh, in any event. An interesting article I found this morning as I was looking at the news, also waking up to reading the news and trying to stay abreast of current events. An article by Greg Wilson at The Daily Wire titled Leftist SPLC Poll Includes Shocking Finding About Democrat Support for Assassinations. This article was published just yesterday, June 10th, 2022. And for those of you unfamiliar, SPLC is the acronym for the Southern Poverty Law Center. They are a far-left group, which at least presents itself as being a kind of watchdog for extremist organizations in the U.S. Read the fine print, though. They basically will categorize anyone who's conservative, anyone who disagrees with their leftist politics as extremist, because they are extremely to the left, they will classify anybody who disagrees with them as being, if you can guess, I know it'll be a shock, racist, sexist, homophobic, bigoted, xenophobic, uh, everyone that they don't like is an extremist, which maybe, just maybe, should be taken as a sign that they're the ones who are extreme. They're not the only ones, don't get me wrong, but Maybe just maybe they're the ones who are extreme. Don't take their word for it when they are describing others. Do your research, double check, because they put people on lists that have no business being on lists just because they're opposed to radical hard left policies and prescriptions, uh, crazy gender theory, critical race theory stuff. If you are a person or part of an organization that is trying to push back against the left in a meaningful way, they will put you on a list and they will say that you are the extremist. And then the radical corporate media, social media, uh, leftists online will run with it. They will run with it and say, ah, well, the SPLC categorizes, classifies this person, this group as an extremist group or as an, as a hate group or whatever. And, uh, that's not cool. That's not cool. So be careful too. If you go trying to uh, corroborate their claims with the corporate media, be careful because they're just repeating one another. They create this echo chamber and they run with it because they've got ulterior motives. But nevertheless, it is interesting. It is interesting that they recently did a poll of 
young and old, Republican and Democrat here in the U.S., asking whether they would approve or disapprove or just frankly don't know how to feel about potentially assassinating politicians who are harming the country. Now, to be clear, they've got some pretty broad uh, classifications in their uh, infographic summarizing the findings. They categorize as younger those who are younger than 50. So that's pretty broad. Younger than 50, that's a pretty wide spectrum. Uh, Older than 50 is definitely older. But younger than 50, that's that's pretty broad. Nevertheless, younger Democrat women responded 32% approving of assassinating politicians who are harming the country or our democracy. By comparison, younger Republican women <laughs> came in at 40%. So that's funny to me. Not funny like we should take this lightly, but actually more younger Republican women are for potentially assassinating politicians who are harming the country. 40% of Republican women could potentially see themselves approving compared with 32% of younger Democratic women. But those numbers actually are pretty much inverted when it comes to younger Democratic men and younger Republican men. 34% of younger Republican men say that they could potentially see assassinating a politician or they could potentially approve of assassinating a politician who's harming the country or our democracy. That's the way the question is phrased. 44% of younger Democratic men responded that they might approve. 44% of Democrat men 50 years old and younger said they might approve. Now, by comparison, those who are older, because there's a generation gap here, and if your assumption is predicated on what uh, sentiment was, let's say, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it's not super shocking to find these numbers among the older men and women, older Democrats and Republicans who were polled. But the numbers are for men, 6%, 6%, it's even, it's dead even between older Democratic men and older Republican men. Only 6%, older than 50, said they might approve. By comparison, older Democratic women, older Republican women, 9% and 10% respectively. So close to 1 in 10 still. Close to, actually just a little over, 1 in 20 older Republican men, older Democratic men. Close to 1 in 10 older Democratic women, older Republican women responded yes. But Republican men, younger Republican men, younger Democratic women, they're about even with about a third saying they could potentially see assassination of a politician who is harming the country or our democracy as being warranted. That's still a really high number. That's still like, even though that's lower than what it is for younger Republican women or younger Democratic men. That's still a really high number. 40% 
and 44% respectively, younger Republican women, younger Democratic men. And I find that fascinating, actually, that more younger Republican women are of the mind that sometimes assassination might just be needed. It might just be the better of uh, our options compared with letting a politician destroy the country, harm our country, our democracy. Very, very interesting. But it's important to note here too. I mean, when was, I'll just ask you, when was the last time a Republican made the news for trying to assassinate a Democrat? Seems to me as though it works the other direction. And we have instances where radical leftists have threatened conservatives and Republicans. And we don't have none, none that I, none that come to my mind anyways. We don't have examples of younger or older Republicans talking about assassinating a Democrat. Maybe they get caught a lot faster because the FBI is uh, Johnny on the spot with any threats to Democrats. A little slower on the uptick when it comes to threats to Republicans. Go figure. But nevertheless, we have this story just from this week of a Nicholas John Rosk, aged 26, from Simi Valley, California, having, by his own admission, wanted to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh, Supreme Court Justice, was caught uh, in the middle of the night outside of Brett Kavanaugh's home by police. Good job, law enforcement. Thank you for stopping him. But he was caught outside of Brett Kavanaugh's home in Maryland with weaponry, with a tactical vest, with zip ties and firearms and ammunition and a knife and all that. And his stated goal, his stated reason for being there was that he wanted to kill uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh due to the expected overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, interestingly enough, I think this guy is also uh, known for being for gun control. So go figure. That's ironic. He's for gun control, and yet he is not controlling himself with regards to guns. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, learn how to control yourself before you start trying to kill conservative Supreme Court justices to enact self-control depriving (laughs) measures. Some of us have firearms and we are self-controlled plenty. Don't deprive us of the ability to be self-controlled when the equivalent of the neighbor's dog trying to get in and kill your chickens uh, happens, right? And I'm not Here's a great case in point. I'm not going to shoot the neighbor's dog just because he poked his head through uh, our back fence. Now, he attacks one of my children, however. And yeah, that dog uh, has forfeited its life, in my opinion. I will shoot the neighbor's dog if the neighbor's dog threatens my children. Absolutely. He's never shown any kind of aggression, just to be clear. So I'm not going there. I'm not even sure I would shoot him if he's threatening one of our chickens. Now, one of our chickens jumps into his yard and he disposes of that chicken. That's our fault, right? That's his yard. That's their yard. That's the neighbor's yard. And I'm not going to shoot the dog because 
it ate one of our chickens. It did what dogs do, and our chicken should have stayed in our yard. But the neighbor's dog comes into our yard and attacks one of my kids. Um, I need I need firearms for such occasions. So that said, it is funny to me, and not funny, haha, but it is odd to me that the SPLC is as anti-Christian, anti-conservative as it is, and promotes this idea that everybody who disagrees with them is a radical extremist literally destroying the country. And yet, what do we find as they're asking young and old alike, Republican and Democrat alike, four out of 10 young Democrats think assassinating a politician who's harming the country or our democracy might get their approval. They may not actually do it themselves, but they might approve of those who do, which increases dramatically the odds that somebody would in their number try to do it. Also, what increases the odds dramatically is our rhetoric from Democrat politicians directed towards their conservative uh, opponents. Also, what increases the odds that Democrats will try it is our mainstream media, our corporate media, social media, silencing conservatives and amplifying the voices of those who say that Republicans are a threat to our democracy. Everything they want to do, everything Republicans want to do is a threat to our democracy, which is ironic because this is not technically first and foremost a democracy. This is first and foremost a republic, which has some very significant democratic aspects, very significant democratic components. But we are first and foremost a republic, and it is not accidental that we are a republic instead of a pure democracy. Pure democracy does not work. It is a bad idea. It has been tried to various uh, extents throughout history, always with disastrous results. So we have a kind of hybrid form of government, which is based on checks and balances. And it's based on the rule of law, not first and foremost, the rule of men. And pure Democrat, radical left proponents want something closer to pure democracy, and they want the rule of men, specifically them, uh, if we can define what a man is anymore, if we can define that. Now, I'm not saying that Democrats should not be free to say what they will, but what I am saying is it is troubling when Democrats use hyperbolic language to describe every Republican effort at providing checks and balances. Our system of government is supposed to have checks and balances. As a matter of fact, as a conservative, it is a good thing in my estimation that we have political parties. I used to think that political parties are just the worst, but I was persuaded by Edmund Burke. I've been reading Edmund Burke over the past year, reading biographies about him, reading his works directly as well. I read Reflections on the Revolution in France and also his uh, essays with regards to uh, the subject of what we refer to as sublime and beautiful. But his position on political parties is that political parties are a greater guarantee of conservatism, in part because you can have one person with a very extreme view, but if they're a part of a party, for one, their more extreme notions will 
get cross-examined within their own ranks and not watered down, but moderated. Watering down is not so good. Moderation is good. Having a more circumspect iron sharpens iron, let's weigh, let's measure, let's be balanced. That is wise. That is wise. If we have a radical ideologue who takes the ball and runs with it, and there is no check and balance, that's not so good. If we have one political party and the other political parties are essentially uh, made war against more than just rhetorically, but they are assassinated, they're arrested, they're locked up, they are deprived of their ability to argue for their principles or to provide any kind of accountability to the other party, well, you will find yourself in a dangerous situation. And yet, Believing as I do that it's good for us, generally speaking, to have political parties, I do not believe that it is good that we essentially have in the Democrat Party the devil's advocate. And what I mean by that is they advocate for things which are satanic consistently. Their principles are not biblical in the least. They are of their father, the devil. And to say that it is all the same, Democrat, Republican, what's the difference, uh, is really not it's not accurate. It's not accurate. Look at their platforms. Don't look at a single individual on either side and say, ah, this is the sum total. No, no. You know, as forceful a personality as you might find in Donald Trump, he clearly did not represent all Republicans. He clearly was not in agreement with all of his constituents and all of his voters. And even still, when he was president, He had disagreement from within the Republican Party on a lot of things that he wanted to do. Sometimes he got pushback from more moderate bipartisan uh, Republicans. Sometimes he got pushback from far more libertarian, small government, fiscal responsibility, balance the budget type Republicans. But look at the platform. Look at the Republican Party platform. Look at the history of the Republican Party. The idea that we would be a nation ruled by laws and not a nation first and foremost ruled by men. That is core and central to the Republican Party. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing in principle, particularly if it means that we are still conserving some measure of the theological and philosophical roots and foundations of our form of government, of our country's heritage and inheritance. I think also, too, another observation that could be relevant here, might be, it's at least worth looking at, is what are your typical Republicans, young and old, likely to perceive as a threat to our country versus what are typical Democrats, young and old, likely to perceive as a threat to our country. It's something to consider. For those who are older, they've seen trends come and go. They've seen economic booms and busts, recessions, and also good times. Stock market doing well, stock market doing not so well. Supply chain issues and an abundance. They've seen administrations change. If you're 50 years old and you are someone who's lived in this country your entire life, you've seen maybe 
a dozen or more presidential elections. Maybe the same guy is in there again more than once. Maybe not. Parties trading the country back and forth. The House and the Senate flipping from Republican to Democrat back to Republican. And I think that's part of why we see the older than 50 crowd saying only 6 to 9 to 10%. Yeah, I could approve of a political official, a politician being assassinated, a political leader being assassinated for the good of the country. And meanwhile, the younger generations, 50 and younger, are saying, yeah, actually, I th- I th- yeah, yeah, I think we might be getting close. You know, if they're, if they're Democrats, they are frustrated that they are likely to lose the House and the Senate this fall unless there's just ridiculous shenanigans. They're frustrated that Roe v. Wade is about to be overturned. That's what was driving this 26-year-old who was arrested outside of Brett Kavanaugh's home. We're seeing increasingly the left hint at threats not only to justices of the Supreme Court, but also their families, implying threats against their children, their wives, their husbands, because of the potential for overturning Roe v. Wade. So riddle me this, what is a Republican likely to think is a threat to our country or to our democracy, if you will? What is a Republican likely to think classifies, categorizes assassination as legitimate potentially? Well, a couple of thoughts. One, you start trying to take our kids away from us so you can trans them, so you can transition them from being boys to girls, from being girls to boys. You're going to do surgery on them. You're going to eliminate their gender, their sexuality, their potential for ever reproducing, having children of their own. You got to fight on your hands. If you try to confiscate all of our guns, you've got to fight on your hands. Maybe assassination is not quite in the minds of Republicans who are concerned about that, as they would say, but that's that's Civil War II territory for a good chunk of Republicans. No, you cannot have our guns. You know, particularly when we have seen how crazy and unhinged people have gotten over the past three, four years through race riots, through COVID lockdowns, Antifa declaring large blocks of major American cities, autonomous zones, lawless zones, cities on fire, violence, looting, murder, mayhem, just craziness from people who should not have been locked down in their homes through COVID that was dangerous and bad. It was evil. It was wicked. The cure should not be worse than the disease, but the response, the official government response to COVID was worse than COVID. That's bad. And it caused severe mental health, emotional health, spiritual health problems for men, women, and children across this country. There's a lot of indications that public school teachers are not coming back in the fall because kids are out of control. They have no respect. They're wild. They're uncouth. They're wicked. And you can't reel them in. You can't 
reform them. You can't correct them. You can't punish them. You can't get their attention. They are just, all too many of them, wild, like feral children. And you mean to tell me that the Democrats have a view, and the House just passed it, but I don't think it'll go anywhere once it gets to the Senate. I think it'll get filibustered. It will not pass the Senate. And if it passes the Senate anyways, or if Biden tries through executive order to implement what all is in the legislation that was passed by the House, I think you won't have necessarily assassination. I think what you'll have is you'll have Civil War 2.0. That's not a threat. That's just an observation. I think that's what you'll get. So in a preliminary fashion, from the standpoint of just weighing and measuring, when Republicans and Democrats are asked the same identical question, they don't hear and think of the same identical types of things. Very clearly, our media tries to persuade Democrats that everything Republicans stand for, everything conservatives are, Everything they believe and want is bad and awful and evil. Everything that we want. Everything that we want to maintain is oppressive towards women and minorities. And we are just a lot of racist, sexist bigots. And if we can't share power, then what? What will they conclude? If they don't accept any checks and balances on their radical agenda, then where are we at? they perceive the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade as a threat to our democracy, as a threat to the United States of America, in part because the media has brainwashed them into believing that, into believing that for them to not be able to murder unborn children, we have to become a completely different country than what they think we should be. And we do live in two very different countries, Republicans and Democrats, because we have two diametrically opposite views of what is right and what is wrong. We have two very, very different general conceptions of the role faith should play in public life. We have two very, very different views of the past our countries specifically, and the present, and the future. Mark my words, the more Republican our government gets, the more Democrats will perceive every action meant to undo the damage their elected representatives have been doing for years and decades as being an existential threat. They don't fall on the ground screeching at the sky in a forced way. It's not forced. It's very honest. It is very genuine because they think that the world is coming to an end. They think it's the end of the world if they don't get what they want. They're hooked on their emotions. They want what they want. And if you get in their way, that is, well, that's grounds for using any means necessary to eliminate you. You know, I find it interesting too. And here's another speculation, another observation, but I think it is worth looking at with regards to Republicans answering this question differently, even from men to women, younger Republican men, younger than 50, which is not super young, but I guess we're all living longer these days. So there you go. 
it's relative. But younger Republican men <clears throat> are answering this question <laughs> uh, much more conservatively, if you will, than the younger Republican women. 40%? 40% say, yeah, I could approve of assassinating a politician who's harming the country. And I wonder how many of these younger Republican women are looking at what is being done to women through the promotion of transgenderism, for instance. All you have to do to become the woman of the year or to break a record set by a actual woman is be a dude and dress up like a woman and change your preferred pronouns. And so I wonder, there's a part of me that wonders if the higher percentage of younger Republican women are motivated by that in part. I also wonder, too, if both the answers for younger Republican women and younger Republican men are a little bit different because we look at how quickly the FBI mobilizes for action if even, let's say, for instance, parents in America show up angry at a school board meeting because their children are being exposed to pornography. Their young children are being exposed to pornography because now that it's Pride Month, increasingly you're seeing LGBTQ plus activists and allies openly saying, hey, if we're going to do sex ed for kids in school, it's time for us to start doing sex ed that talks explicitly about gay sex. There's a stigma that's being created or affirmed, supported, because we're not talking about gay sex. If you're not willing to talk about gay sex with young boys and girls, then you can't call yourself an ally. So the bar just gets raised higher and higher and higher. And those who are allies, those who are allies have to just say how high if they want to stay on the right side. But I think younger Republican women are more likely to get really, really worked up openly. And there's a there's another point here too. The FBI that is willing to put parents who show up angry at a school board meeting because their little white boys and girls are being told that they are inherently racist because they're white. Well, now you're on a terrorist watch list. Congratulations. You might be put on a no-fly zone because you got angry at your school board for teaching your children to apologize, to be ashamed of the color of their skin, but to not be ashamed of gay sex or being a drag queen. Don't you dare suggest there's anything whatsoever untoward about literally taking a scalpel to little boys and girls because they favored a pink toy one day instead of a blue toy, or they favored Tonka trucks one day instead of Barbies. It's sick. But here's the thing. If you're a young Republican man, if you're a young man of fighting age who votes Republican and you're being asked this question by the SPLC or whoever, and you're looking at even just the fact that parents showing up angry at a school board meeting gets them put on a terrorist watch list. You know what you're thinking to yourself? I'll tell you what you're thinking. You're thinking, I had better not give them even the smallest, the tiniest little bit of legitimacy in putting me on a terrorist watch list. This is a setup. This is a trap. What, SPLC, you're going to take 
a list of all of the names of young Republican men who said, you know, I think violence might at a certain point be justified. And we're going to just give those to the FBI. The FBI is going to show up at your door and ask you some important questions. Hey, would you take a ride with us? And then if you're paying any attention whatsoever to what happened to those who were in our nation's capital on January 6th, you might be thinking to yourself, no, thanks. So this is to say, for one, people lie. And for another thing, people lie, right? Like it's an important fact that Democrats and radical leftists lie through their teeth like they're breathing about our country's history and about their political opponents and about what they actually want in the end, ultimately, which a word to the wise, it's essentially, you know, like we're talking Civil War 2.0. What they want essentially is slavery 2.0, because what a lot of them want increasingly, especially the younger ones, is they want communism. They want communism. They want Marxism. And they're trying to inject Marxism into every facet of our lives. Oh, it's not fair that men and women are different. Let's just abolish gender, make everybody equal. How about that? No more men, no more women, just humans, people, just people, right? So when Democrats who are savvy lie to Democrats who are not savvy, and they convince Democrats who are not savvy that everything Republicans stand for, everything Republicans believe, everything Republicans are should be destroyed, what you will get is not just answers, yes, I approve in a poll by the SPLC. What you will get increasingly is action. You will get action from younger Democrats, men and women, to a lesser extent, the women. But the men have more to prove. Statistically, actually, uh, Democrat men typically have much lower levels of testosterone than Republican men. Progressives, Lefties typically have much lower T levels than conservative men. Look it up. You don't believe me? Go look it up. That's just a fact. Just a fact. But I think so also too. People lie and it's important to note if I'm a young Republican man and I'm looking at how things are going for younger Republican men, you ask me that question, I'm thinking uh, if the answer was yes, I sure wouldn't tell you. I sure wouldn't tell you. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I can't. I can't imagine ever approving of assassination. No. But so also, here's the thing, too. I think you know, from the Democrat side, look at who they're listening to, to arrive at the conclusion that this or that is an existential threat to our country or, quote, unquote, our democracy. So therefore, we need to assassinate somebody. For Republicans... Because we believe in history, because we read history, because we do have higher testosterone levels, because we do have more confidence that we can get something accomplished, that there is a system of checks and balances for a reason, and we are confident that we have a lot of tools in the tool belt still to try before we need to get that dire, and also What's the cost benefit on me answering your question honestly? Like, what do I what do I get out of it? Is is really what a pragmatic Republican man is asking himself? What do I get out of it? Telling you the honest answer to the question that you're asking, SPLC. What's in this for me? I don't. There's no upside. There's a lot of risk, though. It's a lot of risk. So I'm just going to say no. No thanks. 
not interested. Nevertheless, it's interesting when you consider where we're at right now. It is interesting to see where you have acts of violence and the Democrats pushing gun control. And you also have a majority conservative Supreme Court expected to overturn Roe v. Wade any time now. And Democrats threatening mass hysteria, violence, assassination, murder of Supreme Court justices and their families and Republicans. I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) no, no, you cannot have my guns. No, you cannot infringe on my Second Amendment rights. You're the same people who want to murder innocent babies when they get in the way. And you're also threatening us Republicans and conservatives when we get in the way. You're threatening our children with surgery and hormone therapy and brainwashing to become little sexual deviants. And you're threatening anybody who objects to that characterization. Fox News is already jumping on board because it's Pride Month. They ran a piece of propaganda celebrating this transgender teen, 14-year-old who transitioned because her parents, his, her parents, biologically her, just to be clear, but her parents wanted the credit. They wanted to be thought very brave and very heroic. And you know what I think? I think it's par for the course for the folks who are willing to destroy the country if abortion is kicked back to the States. It's not even to say that overturning Roe v. Wade means that abortion will be immediately illegal from coast to coast. But it is to say you kick it back to the States and then Republican-led, Republican-governed states abolish abortion and Democrats are ready to throw down. They're ready to reignite the BLM and Antifa riots of recent years. It's insane. It's crazy town. But I'll tell you this, kind of like we started at the uh, top of the episode. It takes two to tango, but it only ter- it, it, it only takes one to start a fight. Democrats would do well to simmer down and get back in touch with reality. There is a God in heaven who sees to whom we should pray and ask God's mercy and forgiveness. But by golly, if the equivalent of my neighbor's dog tries to come into my yard and eat my chickens, I'm going to board up the hole in the fence. And if that dog threatens my children, I'm going to shoot the dog. Nothing against dogs, but my kids are more important. Before God Almighty, my kids are far more important than the neighbor's dog. My kids are more important than the neighbor's dog. And I will shoot the neighbor's dog. I'll just put it that way. I hail from a certain Scotsman myself named Parlan, which is just Gaelic or Scots for Bartholomew. I don't know how they arrive at that. Honestly, it hasn't made any sense to me. I just know what I read. just, Just telling you what I read. That's all. But this Parlan, son of Gilchrist, he became the namesake for Clan McFarland or Clan McFarlane uh, for fighting with distinction at the age of 17 at the Battle of Bannockburn. So he was there. And I'll tell you this, I might come from pacifistic stock 
pacifistic ancestors more so on my dad's side, but my mom's mom's side, the Scots, uh, we know how to fight. I'll just, I'll put it that way. <laughs> it's a time and a season for everything. And I dearly, dearly hope that the Democrats uh, come to Jesus. We all need Jesus. Some of us know it. Other of us, others of us just don't yet, uh, but will. And uh, I pray for this country. I hope that there can be reconciliation between Democrats and Republicans. I think the older generations of Democrats and Republicans have had their differences, to be sure. But I think the older and wiser are saying, you know what, let's have robust debates. And I think the younger, uh, time will tell, but I think a lot of the younger Democrats are cruising for a bruising because they might just see their chance to enact a radical leftist agenda, a radical Marxist agenda slipping away. And when they do see it slipping away or being dramatically reversed, they might react in a very volatile way. And if they do, uh, they can't be allowed to just carry the field without opposition. They just can't. Uh, That's just not correct. It's not right. And I think that's what maybe 34% of younger Republican men surveyed have in mind, whatever they answered. And I think also, too, the small percentage who just said, I don't know, the 7% just said, I don't know. Uh, I think they're still turning it over in their heads, but the ball is in Democrats' court. If they want to be peaceable and abide by our constitution, our form of government, instead of trying to overthrow it, abolish it, upend it, to pursue utopianism, that will be welcome. But if they have a few to assassinating Supreme Court justices, uh, attacking Republicans in various ways, in lots of ways, then it will be bad for all of us. We will all suffer for it, some of us more than others. So pray for our country. Pray to the good Lord above. We need revival. Lord, let there be a revival. Let it begin in us. It's a good time for us to know what we believe, what we should be about, to be clear on that, to not be confused or forlorn, but to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, as Jesus says. I think for us to trust the good Lord, we should in some measure trust that he has a good purpose when he says that, but I got to leave it there. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.